Hey, Jamie. Hi, Bianca. What's up? We are recording episode two of our podcast, If I Knew Then, Prevention Through Recovery. And as I say it, I realize we need a theme song. Can you, like, give us a little theme song here? If I knew then. (laughs) It's beautiful. (laughs) Prevention through recovery. Octave. Is that a good music note? There were jazz hands too. That was like the bummer of doing a podcast, is you guys could not see Bianca's jazz hands. (laughs) They were so impressive. I got the moves like Jagger. It was so good. So, in all seriousness though, we have a really great guest today. We are interviewing Roxanne. Yes, so Roxanne is going to tell us her story. And her story is one that I really appreciate because it does a great job of highlighting something that we're always trying to talk about and that is the transition from prescription medication into illegal or illicit narcotics. Right, so she's going to do a great job at telling us how um, getting prescribed a medication, an opioid, went from something the doctor told her she needed to something she felt she needed all the time. Absolutely. And this is going to bring up a lot of really important things that we absolutely want to talk about, but we want to hear her story first. So our plan for right now is to listen to this interview and then in two weeks we're going to release like a mini-sode, like a half episode where we talk about a lot of the prevention concepts that came up in Sean's episode and we highlight these really important things that come up in Roxanne's episode. Yes, so we don't want to get too much into it right now, but we definitely want to highlight some things we think are important for you guys to know or maybe things that you guys resonate with and we want to bring out and bring to light a little bit. Absolutely. Like just a teaser, we're going to get way into naloxone, you guys. I'm so stoked about it. What's naloxone? We can't, Bianca. No. (laughs) That's the half episode. It's coming in two weeks. Wait for it. Two weeks. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to throw it over to Roxanne. We have a wonderful guest today, Miss Roxanne. Roxanne, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, uh, my name's Roxanne king Willifer. I'm 47 years old. I'm in recovery for substance abuse, and I struggle with mental health issues. I was born in Bakersfield. I moved to Atascadero, California when I was about eight years old. I went there to almost my, it was my junior year going to my senior and I went to Westlake Village, which is right by Calabasas. In the meantime, I moved to New York for a year and then I'm back here in Bakersfield. Wow. But I'm back here and yes, I have two children and here I am. So you shared with us that you've moved around quite a bit. Whenever you were in elementary school, where were you living? Um, a very little. I was here in Bakersfield, California. I lived one year at Cayucas. Mm-hmm. And the rest of my years until my senior in high school for my element, which would be my elementary, were in a Tuscadero, California. I'm very positive. Great years. Uh, I have no bad memories of anything with my educational and elementary years. Okay. So in those years, you you did move around a few different times. Uh Did you have any thoughts on substances at that age? No. I had no idea what substance was at all. I wouldn't even know what that word was or anything like that when I was in my elementary years. 
So at school, did you have any DARE programs or anything like that to educate you on substances that didn't sink in, or were you just not exposed to it at all? To be honest, I think the first, if I remember correctly, was like the DARE program, and I want to say it was like junior high-ish. There was no anything about drugs. It wasn't talked about, and I had moved to a small town, and there was no speak of any kind of drugs or any kind of program. That's very interesting, especially because when you look at things now, it's very different. You don't have a lot of kids who would say that they have not been exposed to. Well, let's do it. Right. Right. We work with kindergartners who can tell us more about drugs than we know. So that's you know, very interesting. In a weird way, ladies, I think also like it, I, for my story in a weird way, kind of sets the bar of like, you never know who addiction is going to hit. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you did have some type of D.A.R.E. program going into middle school. So there was definitely a shift from elementary to middle school in regards to substances. I believe so. I believe so. I remember the D.A.R.E. program being very pushed, and I believe it was middle school in my junior high. I could be wrong because I'm a little bit older. There's been a few years. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it. I believe that's when it was brought to us because elementary, there was no thoughts of this. I believe is when D.A.R.E. came into our system, but not as much as people would think, but I believe that's when it did. So you said that the program was kind of pushed on you. So would you say that it exposed you or you had already been exposed? At that point, no, I had never been exposed, and it exposed me. And it's it when it was brought to my attention, it so stuck me this day. And I have teenage boys who I like push upon about like peer pressure and drugs and what it'll do to your life. So, if that happened in middle school, were there any um, additional programs in high school or anything like that that popped up on the radar in in later years? No. Okay, so when did substances become something that you were aware of, something in your social circles? You want to know the truth? I do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just being smart, Alec. I had, years later, um, gotten divorced by a abusive man, and I went to go get help at the... um, welfare office because I had no skills or anything and he had always well taken care of me financially and um that was the first time kind of kind of that I realized like I had a problem and they brought it to my attention and they directed me to Cal Works because I had never realized over the years there was no information there was no this could be harmful to you that nothing that I had ever experienced. So, okay, so it was at that time that you realized you had an issue with substances. Okay. Yeah. Now can you t- t- take us back a little bit to where those substances entered your life? So that's the part where you first knew you had a problem. How were you first introduced? Years ago, I had lived in LA and, uh, dated a very successful man. I gotten pregnant and he wasn't quite ready. And so I was pushed in the corner to do something um, that I wasn't quite ready. And I look back and 
all my kind of trouble started back then with that traumatic event of substance abuse. And I started using pills and cocaine and drinking and um, had a hard, hard time dealing with stuff. So uh, as the years progressed, I ended up coming back to Bakersfield. I met a man who I ended up having two children with. And um, he ended up being abusive, which I had never had in that physical or mental way of that kind of stuff. And um, we had split about five years ago, and I ended up kind of having a nervous breakdown at the welfare office to, uh, I went there to see if I could get any training. And they ended up putting me in CalWorks, which, who I work for today, which I knew nothing about. And it changed and saved my life completely of the tools and how to understand what I went through and what it was about and what addiction was and what mental health was and what the trauma meant. And I'm here today, five years later, successful and working for the company. That's such an amazing story. And that shows such strong internal resiliency that as soon as you were given those tools, you were able to utilize them. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you. And I don't share that with hardly anybody, but if I can help one person, let's do it. You know what I mean? Right. That's amazing. Thank you so much. I do, I do want to take a step back, though. So when you were going through that difficult time, whenever you were put in such a hard position and had to make a choice that you weren't comfortable with, you shared with us that that was where a lot of your problems started. So if you could help us a little bit bridge the gap between, you know, the small town girl who had never even heard of substances to somebody right. who was using those as a coping skill, who who in your life introduced you to those substances? Where did they come from? Okay, and uh, thank you for asking that. What's funny is um, I I literally needed a root canal, mm-hmm. and my ex-boyfriend got me a root canal, and they introduced me to pain meds, mm-hmm. and those felt really good with someone that was obviously suffering, didn't know was suffering. And I started taking those mm-hmm. more and more and more. And then a couple girlfriends that I knew at the time, which I didn't know, they were doing other things, whether it was crystal meth, cocaine, you know, stuff like that. And that all became the part of the situation because I had no idea. But it started out as a little simple root canal. Mm-hmm. And it was to many, many, many different things that just took me in a different route that I, you would never think of, you know? So I hear that story so much. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead, Bianca. I was just going to say it didn't even originate as um, your outlet to what your experience was. It had nothing to do with that. It was something as simple as needing work done on your tooth. It, yes, and exactly, you know, I always say, because I work now with the county and the CalWorks who ended up full circle, like, saving me, it doesn't matter your child is good, bad, it doesn't matter if this way you came into it, if you're falling to addiction, you're an addiction, you know, I'm an addict, I'll die, and, you know, I, 
I respect that now myself. And so, like, it's very interesting to see how many people fall from it. And sometimes people think there's certain ways that they get to it. But, like, we're all the same. And I treat everyone the same, you know, that has the issues I have. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's such that's such a great point. And I think so often we see whenever the problem has escalated, whenever somebody's in the worst spot they've ever been in their entire life, and we don't think about how we too have been to the doctor, we have been given opioids. And we hear that story so commonly that it started out with just something so small and escalated so large. You're amazing. And that's exactly right. Because it's like, if you give an addict that who's genetically wired to that, they're like, oh, and they don't even know what's going on. And it's like, that's why, like, I love being in this field because there's so many people with all sorts of stories that, like, you know, we all need to support each other and help each other. Sorry. You absolutely do not need to be sorry. That's such a great point. Compassion goes a long way. And stigma is such a barrier in getting treatment that I think that what you just said is absolutely spot on. Awesome. Okay, so you shared with us that you think genetic predisposition plays a role in addiction. Can we talk a little bit about your family history? Were you raised by addicts? Uh, My dad was an alcoholic. And my, um, which I had, um, mine was alcohol and pills and cocaine, but um, my dad was an alcoholic, which, and my grandfather was. So it ran in our genetic DNA. And I tried to tell my boys, because I have 16, 17 year olds, I'm like, <laughs> you don't, you know, like, I- I'm trying to break the cycle, if that makes sense. It does. They don't have the luxury of experimentation. Yeah, no, I, I will. I, I just try very, very hard. And they seen, they saw me through some rough times, and some stuff that when their dad and I were together. And I just try to say, this is not what it's about, and we're going to make a difference. We're going to make a change, and move it forward. And I just want to touch base a little bit because you state that your father was an alcoholic as was your grandfather. Yes. But in elementary years, you were not exposed maybe externally to that. So at what point did you begin to understand and you know recognize, whoa, my family has a history here of this? <laughs> this is even weirder. Um, I did not know until way later in my life if, and this is, podcast so we're very honest about stuff um my dad lived here in town in Bakersfield California he moved us out of town and I lived in Tuscadero and then Los Angeles and we had a great life my mom was never a drinker and I didn't realize so way later in life my dad was an alcoholic because he stayed in here in town with his mistress and um had a whole different life but I never realized that until I was in way older, uh, early, you know, early 20s, that what was going on. Because, you know, you grew up, your dad, and he comes home. My never dad never drank at home. He never did anything. But he was only home Friday through Sunday. Mm-hmm. And he came back here because we lived out of town, and he had a different life. And I did not realize that till later in life. And so it was a little bit odd and different for me. I can imagine that discovery was super traumatic, too. How old were you when that came out? 
very um almost 20 years old so it's like your life with the boyfriend then life with your parents it all came about around the same time yes it did that's a big load to carry yeah when 20. yeah and then my parents got through we're go started going through a horrible horrible nasty divorce so it's like it all came down at once it was like life as you knew it changed that's so hard, especially whenever you have the childhood that you described where you were largely untouched by all of those things. Yes, that's why I say, like, you can't ever judge nobody because you never know, you know, and I had an amazing childhood, but, like, life as I knew it, almost about 20 years old, came crashing down. Sorry, lady, go ahead. No, I, I feel like Roxanne in her 20s needs a hug, and it makes me so sad that I can't give that to you. I'm so sorry. Oh, you're amazing. You know, we just appreciate the fact that you are able to come forward and share a story that many are not able to do because of um, the emotions that it that right. come with. You guys are amazing. So, if I tear up a little bit, it's okay. <laughs> it would be odd if you didn't tear up because these are very emotional things right. to talk about. Thank you. So all of this is kind of coming at, coming to a head in your 20s, like your family support structure is collapsing, your relationship is not where you want it to be, you're having a really hard time in your 20s, and so then yeah. you, very, very. you're given those pills that make everything seem just a little bit easier. Yeah. Okay. So you shared that from that point, you had friends that were doing things that weren't necessarily... Um, yes. Some, yes. Yes. Okay. So can you, can you, ex are you comfortable expanding on that a little bit? The transition from that prescription to the welfare office where you realized you had a problem? So I was in LA and I was dating a very wealthy man and the one that I had the abortion with and um, I left him and he was still financially good to me. I was, hanging out with some friends that, you know, were not being so good. And I was partying. My brother, God love my brother, who lives here in town, who's a real estate appraiser, came and uh, snatched me up physically and said, you're coming to town. You're going to be all right, sis. Like, you're, you're good. And uh, I didn't listen to him. I stayed with him. I didn't listen to him. And I, <sighs> girls... Put your seatbelts on. Okay, real fast. Put your seatbelts <laughs> on. I came to this town who I hadn't been for many, many years. And um, I wasn't ready to get okay. And um, I was hanging out with someone that my br brother's wife knew, long story short. And um, I started writing prescriptions. They ended up finding out and they turned me in. And Judge Hoover, back in the day, way back in the state, got wind of it and I got busted, put me in a program and I did well for a while. I met my ex-husband, fell madly in love, was doing very well this time. I had gotten clean and sober and um, met him, had two kids. He started being very, very abusive. I started going back to my old patterns. We ended up after 15 years divorcing, going for a divorce 
and he left me with nothing and I went to the welfare office because I had no skills. I had always just been, I always had just been who I was. Went to go get help and I had a nervous breakdown at the welfare office. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> Take your time. I went through 15 years of really, really bad abuse after I'd gotten good and getting right. And I, I went through with some really, he was a mean, mean, mean person. And not because he's my ex-husband, because I love that he's the, you know, I had two kids with him. And when it was all over and said and done, I had a nervous breakdown. And they sent me here. <laughs> Can I ask, did you meet your ex-husband in the program or was the outside? No, no, no. I just like, and, and, and my son was very, very good to me. And I was doing very, very, very well for two or three years. My dad here in town owned a bar and I had gone in there not to drink or anything. I was doing very well to pay someone and it was a plumber and that was now my ex-husband. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Bakersfield painful. <laughs> <laughs> that is classic Bakersfield, though. It's like in a bar that your dad owned, a plumber who you were like. That's that's hilarious. It's like the two degrees of separation. Yes. Oh, and I'm always honest. So, like, and I never had a drinking problem or anything like that. But once I met my husband, about two years into it, I became a full-blown alcoholic, and I was in a bad place. So. And he's very abusive, but that's not his fault of me being the way I am. But he's not a good person, so. And I don't want to get too far into the ex-husband's history, but would, did he abuse substances as well? He did in his day, which I knew nothing about, but yes, yes. Okay, so he had a history of drug abuse. Yes, of crystal meth, which I knew nothing about, but yes. And he okay. had a history of spousal abuse, which I knew nothing about. Mm -hmm. That would have been helpful information to know, right? But of course. That really when you meet someone, right? Right? But you know, like when someone's sweet to you, you, uh, you never know. So, But it, it let me hear and look how great this is. Absolutely. So you had an amazing experience with Judge Hoover, who you say, you know, literally saved your life. You were Absolutely. doing so well. Um, you met your ex-husband, and throughout that marriage, you know, you had some abuse going on after you went to the welfare office, and being there, that's what helped you become aware that you needed some changes, some yes. big changes. Yep, and whoever the person was that I don't know, I, I remember I had, like, a nervous breakdown, I just remember saying, it, right now we're on Stockdale, but we used to be at L Street. They gave me the address saying, you need to go here. After I remember just letting everything out, and that's what changed my life. Was that the difference you shared with us, that whenever your brother yeah. came to get you from L.A., you weren't ready to get better yet? No, so, of course not. <laughs> so whenever you were able to express all that and receive support, was that a deciding factor in your process or what was the difference? Because I never realized like, and you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I never realized like you needed like literal help from people, but knew like addiction was real 
and diction had layers to it. I had never realized that. It was just like people were like, stop doing what you're doing. Okay. And how works was the first time like someone ever said, no, no, there's more to this. Like you gotta fix this these things first. Because I, I literally as smart as I thought I was, I never realized like you had to understand that addiction wasn't just about stopping or starting. Right. Well, and how could you have possibly known that? I mean, without the exposure in elementary school, junior high, high school, I, there's no way you possibly could have known. Oh, you're awesome. Thank you. You're right. And so during this process at Kelworks, they're helping you uncover those layers and um, kind of go back to seeing, you know, how did I even get here? And once you identified that, because that puts you in a pretty vulnerable place, I would say, how did you find the strength to say, you know what, I, I am going back, I am going to go through this process, and I'm going to become a better person because of this? You know, the truth is, like, I always say, because I'm pretty realist, like, you know, like, you have to want it for yourself, no matter what. You have to, you have to say, like, I'm ready. But I always say it took a village. It took a village to be behind me and say, you got this girl. And, and I found the strength of, like, you know, I don't want to live this life. Nothing good comes of it. And it took, the, at the time, the team that was involved with me to say, you're number one. You got this. Like, you go, girl. And I, I go back and forth now because it's been five years. And I'm like, because people say you can't, you can't get clean if you want it. Which I understand. And you can't unless you want it. But you also can't get clean unless you have an amazing support system that backs you up. And you have to have it. You have to have the help. You have to have the help. I could have never just done it by myself. So during your recovery, CalWorks, would you say it was probably the biggest resource that you benefited from? It's same, ma'am. And I don't say things easy. I, I'm not one to sugarcoat stuff, but like, if it wouldn't have been for them, there's no way. And it took me those many years to realize, like, because people say, can you do it for your kids? Mm -hmm. Your mom, I love my kids more anything. You know, can't you do it for yourself? Can't you do this? Unless you have the will, which we all do, and then the backing of a great team or support system to say, we got you. I couldn't have done it. There's no way. It changed my life, and that's why I do what I do right now. Were there any other resources that you'd be able to share that helped you? Not that I knew of. The only thing I knew of, like, my mom took me into Mary Kay Shell. And she was like, because she knew, like, there was something wrong with it. She wasn't privy to, like, what addiction was or anything. And, and, I, and like, they, but nothing came of it because I was like, I don't want to kill myself. I just need help. And, but, like, no, like, for, but I'm older than most that we deal with now. And, but the younger generation, I hope there's more out there. And the education should be so important. And that's why you ladies doing podcasts and stuff like that. That's, that's superstar. Because I knew nothing about nothing until I was 40-something years old and went to Calwork. And in saying that, could there have been anything 
that happened to you or anything that could have been done to start your recovery process earlier? To be honest, and I don't think so because of my age. And I, that sounds like cliche, but like back in my day, it just wasn't, no one knew enough. Now people are on stuff. And I think what you ladies are doing needs to be done tenfold over and over and over and over because it informs people. I had no clue. Like I said, I literally back in my day was strung on pills or I didn't consider myself an addict. I didn't know. Or like you guys have asked about school. No one taught us in school. It like we didn't know anything. But I think the younger these kids are and the more people like you ladies do like inform people like hey, this is a problem, the better, way the better. And you guys are amazing. And I give my hat off to you for like being crusaders of like really bringing this to the surface because addiction is a sad, sad struggle for some of us. And it's, it's, it's a genetic thing and people don't understand it. And ladies like you who bring this to the surface are amazing. And Thank you for so much. Thank you so much for saying that. And it's really important that you know we couldn't do it without you. You are the one doing the hard work here. And I couldn't do it without you guys of like letting people know. Like I've got two boys that are 16, 17, which thank God, knock on wood, they're good. But like people like you ladies, like you guys are the trailblazers who like, you know, make this stuff real and make it happen because I didn't have that back in my day. Because, by the way, I would have listened to you, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be getting a link, so you have to listen now. <laughs> okay, so I want to take a step back. I am so glad that you found the CalWORKs program and that it was so beneficial to you. And it came to you at a place when you are ready to hear what they had to say and that you found people to support you on that journey. I think that's so amazing. But I want to be a little bit more specific about what it was about that program that helped you. So you've already shared you were ready. You had people that supported you. Were there specific programs or actions that they did that you benefited from or that stand out in your memory? Okay. Um, CalWorks gave me the tools. And they gave me the... People that show me how to do things right or wrong. And I never had that. It was always like, oh, just stop. Just stop, Roxanne. Just stop. Just stop doing what you're doing. No one ever said that there's more to this than what you realize. And they gave me the tools. I had a couple um, counselors, Brenda, who is still one of my mentors today, who like said, you know, you got to learn how to change this stuff up. Because... Anyone in my life had always been like, just stop, just stop. And I think that's where addicts get in the problem. It's like, you can't sometimes just stop. I think that's so important because if you could just stop, you would. 100% I would. 100%. We'd all like turn on that light switch and be like, okay, we're done. And there's more right. to it. And I never, ever, ever realized in all my years of like, you got to put the work in. You know, there's tools. There's things that make make sense that what they said just makes sense of what they told me to do. And, like, and that's the problem. It's like 
I think that's where sometimes, not with current behavior health, but with other places that they don't realize, like, a lot of people push, like, oh, oh, just stop using. It's not that easy. There's way more layers to it, and in current behavior health and recovery services, CalWORKs actually showed me for the first time what was really going on. And I would think even uh, then, you know, just stop would bring on more frustration to say, don't you think if I could, I would. And I feel like that sometimes people feel like they're helping you by saying, why don't you just stop? Or can't you just do this for this, so-and-so, or for whatever reason, but they're not really understanding uh, those deeper layers and and the history that comes with not being able to because we don't understand why we even started in the first place sometimes. I think that's 100% accurate and also it sells short the hard work that you have to do to recover. I think we need to acknowledge how difficult recovery is and saying just stop makes it seem like it's an easy snap decision and not being able to make that decision is shameful. You mentioned that you started the pills when you got the root canal, mm-hmm. but you did have friends who were using substances such as cocaine and I think maybe meth as well. No, or cocaine. Not meth. It, okay, so I started using pills from a root canal. Okay, and about a year or so later, it's hard to because I'm a little older. Uh, I left my boyfriend, and I had a really amazing friend, one of my best girlfriends who I never knew. She was using cocaine. She was Colombian, and her dad, I, long story short, was a drug dealer. And we started doing it together. But no one in my day was using pills, was any kind of addict that I knew of. Like, I had no clue. I had no clue. But once that happened to me personally, I started like ramping the pills up. And there was like, oh, I'll do some blow. And I did, you know, that's how that started for me. Okay. And so I just have to ask because um, it seems like when we watch certain shows or, you know, we're trying to educate kids, it's this thing of like someone just comes up to you and is like, hey, I got some of this. Do you want some? But it's not like that. No. So how how was it? What was it like for you and your friend to say, hey, I do pills. Hey, I do cocaine. Yayo? She didn't even ask me. She said, you want to do a little yayo, which is blow. And I was like, yeah, because I was in a messed up time in my life. I'm like, yeah, I'll do some yayo. So and then such a Jimmy. big part of what we talk about is access. So how you got the drugs you were using is of particular interest to us. So when you were talking about ramping up pills, can you describe to us, like, were you getting additional prescriptions? Were those coming from friends? So my ex-boyfriend, uh, I'm honest with you girls, was very wealthy. And he had two brothers that were in Beverly Hills as doctors. And that they first gave me the prescription of the... Uh, Vicodin, and I never heard of it. I didn't do no drugs or nothing. And I was like, once I took it, I was like, oh, oh, this, oh, this feels pretty good. And then whatever I asked for, they gave it to me. 
whatever I asked for. Like, it was like, I need more. Okay. And you have to keep in mind, I'm 47. So this was over 25 years ago, you know, my early 20s. And it was like, okay. And this is kind of before things happen, but I know this still happens. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, go ahead. And through the years that I've dealt with this, which me personally, I believe, people that didn't start out on street drugs, the pills push them into it. I think pills are more of a problem than people realize. Is me personally, I'm not saying I don't know nothing, but I think it's way more of a problem than people realize because it's like, you can get them easy access through doctors and next thing you know you need more or you need something or the doctor cuts you off and then you go to the other steps and it's like a vicious cycle here in america right and i think it's important to know that we're barely catching up with that anyways with prescriptions and doctors and pharmacists and creating um creating something to where they're able to see who's being prescribed what by whom and how often so you know I can just imagine how much more easily accessible it was then and a hundred percent and I think even these days like people don't realize like what this will lead to and I think and like I said I'm I'm only a peer support specialist I'm a little man on the totem pole but I think that a lot of our stuff starts with these prescriptions. And I think then people can't get it or they don't have enough. And then they step to the next step and things go from there. And it's sad. It's sad. You know, because I think you have to have professional help to get better for whatever reason you're trying to numb your feeling from these medications or drugs or whatever. You need to get some professional help. Right. And it kind of ironically starts with professional help because that's where you're getting your drugs from in the first place. Yes, yes. I think that's so important to acknowledge. You're amazing. Yes, you're 100%. Like, it's like you go to the doctor, like, okay, uh, this is bothering me. They give you a prescription and then it feels good and you keep doing it and it becomes a problem. But there's something else because there's hurting that pain. You're, you're numbing it with that needs to be taken. By. And that's why I say cow works. Hands down. And down. And I'm a tough cookie. Like, they put me in my place in the best way possible. In the best way possible. So let me ask you a question then. And this is really hypothetical. And you don't feel comfortable answering it. And you don't have a good answer. That's totally fine. Do you think that without that opioid prescription, you would have had the same downward slide into substances? Or do you think that's something that could have been avoided altogether for you? I think I probably would have. I think possibly, maybe, I, like I said, you know, I'm just a peer support specialist. I have no schooling. Um, I had never had an alcohol problem. But when I got with my ex-husband, who's here in town, and we had two children together, I became a full-blown alcoholic. So I don't know if it's genetically wired that I was already prone for this. And like those little bumps, but I had had bumps in my life before that didn't trigger the stuff. But these were kind of major bumps that triggered it. But I think the lack of, me personally, the lack of education of what's going on in our drug society, prescription society, 
people get fuzzy about alcohol because it's over the counter, I think that's where we're lacking up. I think if I had had more knowledge, it might not have been that road. Thank you. Like that always makes me really curious too. Like I want to call that doctor now and be like, do you know what you did? Like, do no. you know what happened? No, a hundred percent. And they were two brothers. And I, <laughs> and, and no, a hundred percent, but I have, uh, I'm with you because I think like, okay, if he, two years later, if I had had a knee surgery, I don't know, like, would it have been the same or what, were I just waiting for this? I don't know. But I well, think lack of like the knowledge of like people do s stigma. But I also think it would not have been the same because had you done knee surgery, you wouldn't have two doctors probably freely giving you prescriptions as often and as much as you wanted. That's a big difference. You're right, 100%. And they probably shouldn't have put the gas on me for root canal and put me higher than a kite and give me a bunch of pain pills. I think the re you're right. Like, the regulation should be, okay, like, you know, here you go, okay. There's a couple of Tylenol, you know, and I, but I think that I look back and I'm like, that was like the opening of my Pandora's box. Right. And I think you're right. Like, I think if they said, hey, you know, girl, like, here you go, take a few Advil over the counter, lay down, deal with your stuff. And of course I'd have been fine. But I checked those pills and it was like, these are amazing. I feel more than fine. Uh, way more than fine. Yes, you're right. And I think like, I think it's a vicious cycle. I think it's a vicious cycle. Uh, honestly, with your girls, like, I've never done heroin. I've never shot up. Not that that's bad, good or indifferent. But I think from what I watched and I studied because, you know, I'm an addict that like a lot of people who have been in that world of opiates, they end up doing the heroin. And they end up overdosing. They end up dying, or they end up having someone. It's just like I see the I see the little trail going, and it's just like, oh, that's scary. That's scary. And let's talk about that for a minute. You never experimented with heroin, which is like you said, frequently a pathway we see people taking. Do you which? Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just yeah. going to ask if you attribute that to your easy access of pills, if there was a reason you didn't do heroin. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I, my addiction was very well funded. We'll put it that way with a ex-boyfriend that was wealthy, an ex-husband that had money. And so, yes, I never, and we talk about this here privately, to some of my girlfriends, like, I never had to go be, like, desperate for it. And I'll tell you this, though, if I did, you would, I would, and I think that's what happened. It, and I just had easy access. It was amazing. I had easy access. I didn't have to worry about it. But a lot of people don't have easy access to the opiates. And what are they going to do? They're going to go fine. Just for my own curiosity, did you know about naloxone or Narcan at the time? I have no idea what that was at okay. all, okay. At, at all. And to be honest, if you want to know the truth about something, when I became a client here where I work now, they took my blood to get my labs done. And they had said, oh my God, you know, doing pills and like all that stuff is hard on your liver, which they came back by knock on wood. I was not educated with anything that it could hinder my my health 
I had no idea. I had no idea, like, drinking, drinking and pills or pills and drinking or any of that stuff would ever, ever. And God, for, God, thank God that, like, I'm okay. But, like, I had no idea. But the health risk, I realized through working for Calaver, there's so many things that can, uh, this stuff that people do really make a difference and hurt people physically, and, you know, with their health. And I had no idea. So the education is not up. That's so interesting because I feel like the kids that we work with get so sick of hearing it. Like, we know it's going to hurt us. We know this. So it's so interesting that you made it into adulthood without hearing about those health risks. Yep. Nothing. Nothing. Yep. But I think it's also safe to say that they were not advertising those health risks at that time. And yes, I am 47. You can say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Like I said, all we heard a little bit was Nancy Reagan saying, like, say no to drugs or whatever. Like, but still, I think, like, like you know, I got two teenage boys who are 16, 17. I still think that maybe it's not enough. Like, maybe it's not enough because we, I talk open with my boys and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, they tell us not to do it, mom, but like, we don't know the risk. I mean, they know because of me, but like, I don't know. I think we're, I think we're dropping. I think that there might be something missing. I had no idea that it'd be a risk to my health. It'd be a risk to my mental health. I had no idea, but I'm old as hell though. <laughs> you are not old as hell, Roxanne. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> So I think you're really onto something there. And that is one of the goals of this podcast for us is help us design what prevention should look like. What did you need when you were in elementary school, junior high school, high school? What do you want for your kids? What should prevention look like? What should we be doing? Education and the shit being scared out of them needs to be more real. I think, and this is just me personally, like I'm very upfront and honest, like I've always told you ladies. I almost think like it's just like nothing needs to be sugarcoated. It needs to be like this is what happens to people. This is what how this goes down. This is what I think we're too almost PC sometimes about certain things about addiction or like hereditary. I told my boys, I said it comes from your mother, your dad has a little bit, your your grandfather. Like we have to be careful. And I think like the more we say, the better we are. So just being more direct and yeah. not necessarily using scare tactics, but letting them know these are the real life consequences of this what. Is real. This is real. Like, and I know teenagers, and we want to be real about this teenagers because I got to them. They're like, ah, this not. But it's like almost something that like needs to be like, this is really what's happening because it's got to stop. It's got to stop. Like in. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. I just wanted to ask, what age do you think it's appropriate to be able to start this type of prevention and begin informing youth on substances or substance abuse or what happens to the body? What do you think is appropriate? Like sexually having the body or just in general having the body? Uh, just in general, you know, you talked about how you didn't know that using these substances was doing physical harm to your body. So how do you think that would I look? About, unfortunately, unfortunately, about 12, 
we've lost where parents are raising their kids in the right way. So people like you and you get having to do these things because the parent isn't stepping up and doing things. I think for drugs and alcohol these days, about 12, I think, and it's probably younger, unfortunately, gets parents in check of like how to do their kids because that's where that's where this is all dissolving. So uh, education for parents as well as you. Mm-hmm. Right. And you've shared a really interesting perspective that had you not had these experiences, you wouldn't know what drugs would do to your body. So we're working with a whole generation who can't tell their kids because nobody told them. Right. And, and, you know, I always look at it like substance abuse will destroy your life and it will literally annihilate your life. And like, I just feel bad because it's like, whether it's the parents or the kids or both of them, like education, everything, everything. We need to like make people know this is how it is. This is what should be done. This is what shouldn't be done. This is how we need to handle it. Because I feel like we're losing grasp of like society of like addiction. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said I respect you ladies so much for doing this. It makes me like tear up because like I- I'm telling you, there's people not not doing well because mm-hmm. you, you guys are amazing so and that's one of the things that is a constant struggle for us is trying to find ways to present information that's interesting so when people like you shall share your story with us and it's something where we can see real life consequences and it's told as a story and so just us kind of telling you in a presentation format that right. that is easier to engage people do you have any other suggestions on how to present this information to youth? What did you need when you were 12? How would you have wanted to hear it? You know, this is, a, you know, and I'm from back in the day. It's just like, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think if I would have known once I went to CalWorks of like what physically can do your body, I had one of the nurses say, oh, 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 honey, I hope, I hope your labs come out okay. I had no idea that, like, it can destroy your liver, it can destroy your organs, it can take many, many things from you. And on top of it, drugs will take your children, your livelihood, your light, your sanity, your soul. And, like, I just think that we need to promote more about just living a clean and sober life and that no outcome comes good of being in any sort of way, shape, or form with any kind of addiction. Nothing because there's no success stories. And we need to let the young children know, like, there is hope and be a pioneer and not a follower. And, you know, believe that in the long run, it's going to pay off because nothing ever good comes from addiction. Never. That's awesome. And I think that that's a really good um, ending note, but I just want to go back real quick and clean up a couple of the things that you shared with us. So you shared with us that your brother um, came down to LA and he brought you back to Bakersfield. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Gotten in it twists away. My brother literally physically came up and grabbed me. (laughs) So did your brother ever have any issues with substances? No. No. Is he Um, older or younger than you? He's like almost two years older than me. Okay, that's so cool. Big brothers are the best. Yes, he is. 
He's amazing. He, <laughs> what role has he played in your ongoing recovery? Are you guys still close? Has he been uh, a good support system? He is my, uh, okay, a couple things. He, my dad died 16 years ago. But before that and after that, my brother's always been um, pretty much a father figure to me. My dad was amazing in the way of the way he could. But and my brother and I still talk every day to this day. And he is the best support system that anyone could ask. I'm so glad you have that. That's wonderful. He's amazing. He's Shout awesome. out to Roxanne's brother. We love you, Roxanne's brother. Like, really, he's awesome. Thank you. Say that again, Bianca. I said thank you to Roxanne's brother for going up to LA and snatching her up. Good. <laughs> and he slow my ride or die. And he's very good to my young boys who have been a single mom to kind of a shitty ex-husband. No names. And uh, my brother's amazing. My brother's amazing. And I think that's a good shout out to all brothers out there too. Cause even though you weren't ready when he came and he physically snatched you up, he's still there for you. And he, you describe him as such an important role in your recovery. Very much so. And he's not an addict and he, but he's always been my ride or die. So he's amazing. And I think that helps ladies just FYI. And I worry about the clients that don't have that support system. But, you know, it doesn't have to be a relative. It could be someone through the NA community, the AA community, because we're all there for people. <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. Thank you so much for sharing that. An amazing point to make, because sometimes, you know, the people who are affecting us most negatively are the those, mm -hmm, the ones who are closest to us. So that's a very important point to make is that, your support system is not always going to be and does not always have to be someone related to you. And you know, ladies, like in NA and A, there's always someone. There's always someone there to support you. If someone's going through that hard time at that moment, you can reach out to anyone. They will they will get you, I promise. NA or A, I promise. And we'll make sure and find those resources and include those at the yeah. end of this podcast, too. Yeah. So yes. your journey has definitely changed from 20-year-old Roxanne to 47-year-old Roxanne. Uh, what would you say the highlight of this journey has been for you? <laughs> the moment that I knew I was going to have a um, job or whatever to pay it for. That's amazing. That really is amazing. You want to help people the way that they've helped you? Hands down. Hands down. Everyone knows that around here. Like, that's it. I never talk about some of that stuff I talked about today because I just don't. But you guys, I'll do it for any day of the week. <laughs> well, we want to throw out a disclaimer we did have a safe word we did <laughs> there's a lot of people thinking that we have you out here like that Roxanne calling you out with you ladies because I'm down and I really appreciate what you guys are doing to help the community of what's going on in life so you guys are awesome 
I have just one last follow-up to you. One of the things for me that has really stood out about your story is the recurrence of the role stigma played. And we talk about that all the time. We talk about reducing stigma. We talk about how stigma keeps people from treatment. But honestly, acceptance is what drove you to get better. 100%. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I was just going to say, can you talk about the stigma that you felt before the acceptance? Can you, do you remember a time that stood out? For me personally, it wasn't really stigma, but this is kind of separate because of my age. It was stigma, I guess, but I'm kind of got that aloof kind of like, but people like think drug addict, mental health. What? And and that's what's sad about society. But Kyle works is like, oh, you're one of us. Come on. Let me give you a hug. You're amazing. Oh, yeah, no, we got that. You got a piece of shit ex-husband. You're amazing. Oh, you did. You're not. You're amazing. <laughs> and I swear, like, they were just spot on and making me feel like I wasn't the only word. Like one person out there having these feelings and I think if we can slowly but surely hopefully faster than not let the stigma go down because I always, I always make everyone knows around here I got a big mouth in the, the positive way that it's like everyone's got a little mildness we all got a little something addiction we all we're all the same we all need to be treated equally Some use it more than others, so let's help them a little bit more than we should. That's such a good life lesson. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're amazing. You you ladies are amazing. I have a 16, 17-year-old, and we were talking about money and happiness and this and that last night. And I said, I said, your mom would do this job for free. And I said, if someone offered me $50 an hour, I would not go to that job because I love what I do and I think that's where like people miss the mark of like when you believe in something and you truly love something and want to help people you give your whole heart to it and I don't know I think you know more people care about what they do it make a difference in the world and you guys are awesome and I really appreciate you ladies thank you so much you're welcome. All right, Bianca, do you have any follow-up questions? No, no, but I just want to thank you for being so receptive to our project and what we're trying to do and uh, helping us navigate what we can be doing because when we first started this, we, I mean, and still now, you know, we have no idea what we're doing or what to expect and we appreciate your willingness to be open and help us and guide us through this project thank you and i appreciate it let me tell you something you guys are the pioneers and and you're going to be the amazing and you need anything from me i am always willing because it's that fine line between like people a lot of people think addictions whatever or this or that and you guys are rock stars and and whatever you need me to do call me anytime Thank you so much. And I 100% echo what Bianca just said. Thank you so much for changing lives and for helping us out and for putting up with all of our technical difficulties. (laughs) You guys are rock stars. 
You want me to do anything? I'm down. Okay. Just so you know. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we have made you cry and you have shared with us your life story, we're going to send you back to work and we hope you have the best day. Like you ladies. Bye. <laughs> have a good day. Call me if you need a day. Bye. Bye. Thank you.